This will be introduction to the book of Romans, uh, also chapter 1. If you're not familiar with this podcast, my name is Chris Cordes. I'm a Sunday school teacher at Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, we're excited to be able to bring a podcast and make it available to whomever might seek to study along with us. Our, our class typically studies without a, uh, I guess what you would call a curriculum. We take a book of the Bible and pretty much study it exegetically through the books as they go. So I hope this is a blessing to you uh, and a benefit to you as you study the Word of God. That's our intent is to simply study the Word of God and to grow in our faith in that way. So, as I mentioned, this study is uh, concerns with the, the book of Romans, and this is the first lesson in the series, uh, Introduction. So, uh, the writer, of course, to the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul. By the time that Paul writes the book of Romans, he's been a preacher for some 20 years. Uh, one thing that I point out on a regular basis is as we read Scripture, uh, we oftentimes, if we don't pause, we don't account for the time that is in between the chapters or sometimes even the verses. And so there's a time lapse that we need to, at least in our studies, think about and consider. Paul wrote many epistles, as you know, uh, and was a very prolific writer, and he uh, concerned himself with several uh, various topics. We get a lot of doctrine from Paul. We learn about the churches, uh, especially the ones that he planted. And with Romans, when he writes, as I mentioned, he, he has the experience of preaching for some 20 years. That's, I believe that's one reason Romans is able to go into such depth with the gospel. Uh, many would refer to the book of Romans as Paul's gospel. And in addition to the other four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, someone argued that Romans stands as its Gospel, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to that argument. I have used for many, many years what I call the Romans Road to Salvation, and this is a series of verses throughout the book of Romans that can be used very effectively in dealing with the unbeliever to explain the Gospel and how one is to be saved. And so uh, we have the benefit of Paul's experience for 20 years in the ministry as he reads Romans and as we study it. Most likely, Paul writes the book from the city of Corinth. Uh, Paul, like his traveling companion, Luke, is one of the most educated and, then, and therefore formal writers of the Bible. And uh, especially in the book of Romans, when he's writing this, we often have to be careful with our study to make sure that we remain in context. Uh, sometimes in the book, uh, he will be writing and then he'll um, pause on one thought and begin a separate thought in a paragraph uh, style and then come back to the original thought. And so to keep ourselves in context, we need to be aware of that and to include that as part of our, our study and our recognition. Usually it's pretty easy to determine uh, just by reading the context in and of itself. If you're not familiar with me and my teaching, one thing that I harp on a lot in Bible study is to make certain that we study within the proper context. I believe that is uh, one of the, the key elements of Bible study uh, and any study really 
whether it be biblical or extra-biblical, but context is crucial in biblical study. The date of the writing. We believe that the, the writing happened in approximately 57 AD, or some 23 years following the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we uh, come to it at, at, that, um, at that understanding. And why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, one of the key reasons that it matters is those who would refute the gospel uh, could have, if the gospel had been fabricated or faked, those people would still have been alive at the time of the writing of uh, all the gospels and especially Romans. And some could have stood up and said, no, I was in Jerusalem. The resurrection did not happen. Christ did not appear to 500 people at one time. Christ did not spend over a month on the earth uh, teaching and leading his disciples and, and meeting with the, the, the people on the road to Emmaus and all the things that he did do. And yet nobody stood up and made those arguments. So once again, we have yet another uh, astounding evidence for the death, burial, or resurrection of Christ. And uh, that, that is important to understand. Uh, so again, in reading and in our, in our studying, uh, again, we, we date the book at about 57 AD. And that, by the way, that's not just uh, Christians or biblical scholars that give that dating, but some uh, who are good with archeology span and the languages and things of that nature would also date the writing, though they may not agree with everything that's written, they would date those writings at the same uh, period. So let's talk about the theme. Now, uh, I use Dr. John Phillips as one of my favorite commentators, and I read his commentaries a lot in my studying and my preparation. I also give credit a lot to uh, uh, David Guzik. I listen to his podcast on a very regular basis. He gives a podcast. He's a pastor out of California, and he does a tremendous, tremendous study, uh, much like we do. He'll take a book of the Bible and go through it exegetically. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I use, I, I take from those two men a lot. Um, by the way, Doctor or, or David Guzik's podcast is the Enduring Word. And you can look that up wherever you listen to podcasts, and I encourage you to do so. And he is a tremendous Bible teacher. But I want, I, in the introduction of Romans, I provided to my class, uh, I'm doing this after the fact, trying to play a little catch up because we weren't ready for the podcast when uh, I started the study. Uh, but I, I gave Dr. John Phillips outline. His commentaries are the exploring commentaries. So his commentary on book, uh, the book of Romans is Exploring Romans. That's his titles, how, how he titles his commentaries. And I wanted to provide his, uh, uh, at least part of his outline. His outlines are pretty in-depth and extensive, but I give you the main points of the outline. So he, Dr. Phillips begins with the prologue, uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And in that prologue, he talks about and points out the significance of the gospel, the servant of the gospel, and the summary of the gospel. Uh, from there, he takes up uh, chapter 1, verse 19, all the way through chapter 8, verse 39. And he talks about, number one, the principles of the gospel, uh, 
Number two, the problems of the gospel. And number three, the practice of the gospel. Now those are different uh, scriptural headings. So I, I should point out the principles of the gospel are covered in chapter 1, verse uh, 19 through chapter 8, verse 39. Uh, within that section, he talks about the question of sin, the question of salvation, and the question of sanctification. Secondly, he talks about the problems of the gospel. That's in chapter 9, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 36. And under the problems of the gospel, uh, he talks about God's past dealings with Israel. He goes into that in some detail. And then he talks about God's present dealing with Israel. And when we say that, of course, we're talking about uh, the church age dealing with Israel. And Paul is referring to what was going on with Israel uh, within the church age, not just in the day that he was living. And then also uh, the God's promised dealings with Israel. And of course, that is really uh, talking about the future of Israel. Uh, we've studied the book of Revelation in our class, and, and God is not done with Israel. They are his chosen people. They are a very special people to him, even today. And we as believers need to recognize that, hold on to that, and uh, worship accordingly and, and remember those things accordingly, pray for the peace of Israel, all the things that the Bible instructs us to do. Thirdly, in uh, Dr. Phillips' outline, he talks about the practice of the gospel. Uh, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And we find this in chapter 12, verse one of Romans, all the way through chapter 16, verse 24. The, uh, and he talks about uh, the laws of Christian life and the laws of Christian love in, the, in that section. And then finally, he gives an epilogue in his writing. Uh, and this is found in chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, which of course closes out the book of Romans. So that's a very broad outline of Dr. Phillips. Uh, when you, if you look at his commentaries, he goes into some depth of his outline. Uh, he's a, he was, I should say, a very, very gifted Bible student and teacher. Uh, there was, I was privileged to hear him on a number of occasion, occasions, and uh, every time I heard him, he would preach an entire book of the Bible within 30 to 45 minutes. And when he concluded, uh, I, there was, I understood that book greater than I'd ever thought I would. He was just a very, very gifted Bible teacher. And I tell everybody there was no verbal clutter on his part when he spoke. He was just so, so gifted. And so he is, he is certainly missed by the church as he's already home in heaven with his, his Lord and Savior. Now, uh, David Guzik's input uh, for the beginning of Romans is uh, the following bullet points I'd like to share with you. The theme of the letter of Rome is different, is different from Paul's other epistles because Paul is not writing to the church at Rome in order to solve a problem within the church. The, David Guzzi makes an excellent point here. If you read Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, other, other epistles, Paul seems to always be dealing with a problem. With Corinthians, of course, he deals with a number of problems. Uh, uh, when I was in Bible college I, uh, they, and studied Corinthians, they, they taught us that Paul, Corinth was known as Paul's problem church. And as you study the book, you find that to be true, especially in 1 Corinthians. 
uh, as the Paul, uh, Paul points out the specific problems and, and begins to deal with them one by one. Uh, but in Romans, we find uh, that Paul is not writing that church to uh, address a problem, which is another reason that it's kind of known as Paul's gospel, because the, the focus and the, the, the main body of the book of Romans deals with just the gospel, every aspect of the gospel. Uh, secondly, uh, David Guzik points out the letter to the Romans focuses more on God and his plan of redemption than any other. And that's certainly true. Uh, he, Paul picks apart the gospel, he lays it out, he talks about the, the, the need for the gospel, the workings of the gospel, the benefit of the gospel, everything about the gospel. And Romans goes into great detail. Thirdly, the book of Romans mentions the name of God 153 times, uh, which is an average of every 46 words. Now, I stole that from David Guzik. I didn't take the time to count and uh, point it out, but I, I thought that was an interesting point that he brought out in his podcast. The name of God occurs more frequently in the book of Romans than in any other book of the New Testament. I didn't know that either. Therefore, the book of Romans is a book about God. And again, that's a, that's a quote from David Guzik. He, he goes into some detail on that. And while I don't disagree with David Guzik, uh, I think we're more accurate to say it's about God's gospel. It, it is just, man, it is gospel inside and out, wrapped around and uh, tied with a gospel ribbon on top. It, it, it is gospel, gospel, gospel. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you want to get more familiar with the gospel, and, and one thing that uh, I always want to call him Dr. Guzik because I learned so much from you, but one thing that David Guzik points out at the end of the study, uh, you, you should just know more about God. And, and man, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to look forward to as we enter into this study and, and look forward to going through the book. So having said enough about uh, those things, let's just get into the word of God and look at the, some of the verses. And I'll read verses one through seven, and we'll make a few comments here. I, I label this just as Paul's greeting. The first seven verses, uh, Romans chapter one, verse one. Reading from the New King James Version, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an introduction. Wouldn't you love to receive a letter uh, that started like that? Most of the letters that I receive are junk mail. Uh, or somebody wanting to buy my property, which is not for sale, things of that nature. But I would love to receive a letter that began to open up like that and talking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the, our callings and his love for us, our, his grace for us, all of those things. But three things here uh, in Paul's greeting in the first seven verses. Uh, 
we, we see his callings as both a bondservant and apostle, his cry, which will be for the gospel, and his crowd, which are the saints. So Paul talks first about his callings, both as a bondservant and an apostle. And this word bondservant really could be translated as his slave. His, his, he's, in other words, he's fully given over to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's proud of this. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave. In other books, he calls himself a slave. Uh, in the uh, 2023 in America, we hear that word slave and we tend to shy away from it and run for it for probably really good reason uh, due to the sin of slavery in our country. And I, I always point out to my class uh, to distinguish the differences. You know, in the Old Testament, a person could sell themselves into slavery. They were unable to take care of their family. Uh, they were unable to provide and they had a wealthy neighbor. They might go to that neighbor and ask him to allow them to become a slave. Slavery in uh, the uh, Levitical law lasted for uh, six years. And then on the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, all slaves were to be released. So when you hear the word slave, don't uh, just automatically make those uh, same assumptions and come up with the same picture. Paul here used the words bondservant. And in other words, fully given in submission to Christ. And he, he says this as a badge of honor. Paul says, I am, I am both a bondservant and an apostle. And no doubt Paul was an apostle. Now, what does it mean to be an apostle? Well, without going too far into it, the office of apostle, I believe, exists no longer because it's no longer needed. There are some on television and in different places who will call themselves apostles. Uh, I, I doubt seriously that they would want to pitch in with the apostles to, according to the sacrifice that all the apostles uh, suffered. Uh, every apostle was martyred in one way or another. Uh, John left on the Isle of Patmos to starve and to live out his days where he wrote the book of Revelation. Most of them were martyred in the crucifixion or, or, or boiled in oil in, in horrific, horrific ways. Every apostle had a specific call, a verbal call, and a face-to-face -face meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of hard to do these days. Paul's, of course, was on the road to Damascus, and we read about that in the book of Acts. The office of apostle carries a, a specific duties. And one thing, one reason it's so important to understand these things is, is the apostles were speaking for God. They were giving us church doctrine, doctrine that we live by, doctrine that carries Christian authority. And so I get nervous anybody wants to call themselves an apostle uh, in the modern time because oftentimes that leads uh, down the path where they want to assume authority that they just do not have. The Word of God is our authority. It is given from God. It is our authority. And if you are in a church and a preacher or a teacher or whomever it may be uh, begins to lead and teach in such a way that disagrees with the Word of God and they will not be corrected, you're best just walk away. Leave. 
do not sit under that authority. Uh, I tell my class all the time, if I teach something that you see that is wrong or disagrees with the Word of God, please bring it to me and explain it to me. We will look at it together. And if I am wrong according to the Word of God, then I will correct myself and I will submit to the Word of God. And so the office of apostle is a very huge deal because that was their primary role, much like the prophet in the Old Testament. And so uh, we could go more in depth on that, but I believe that's sufficient for our lesson today as far as the, the office of apostleship. So understand that Paul calls himself both the bondservant and the apostle. And so in other words, he is submitted to Christ as a bondservant, and he is leading the church of Rome as an apostle, an authority figure underneath the umbrella of the authority of Christ. Next, he talks about his cry. And his cry will be for the gospel. He's very clear about that. I'm writing to you, church at Rome, to cry and appeal for the gospel. That's what I'm gonna talk to you about. And then he talks about the crowd. And of course, the crowd he's addressing are the saints of God. You understand, believer, that you are a saint, that you don't have to wait to go to heaven to be a saint, or not only certain people earn sainthood as some religious might teach, but the Bible refers to every believer as a saint because the righteousness of Christ is applied to us at the time of salvation. So therefore, we become saints of God not by our own works, but by the application of the blood of Christ. Next, we talk about Paul's desire to visit Rome, and this is covered in uh, uh, verses eight through 15. Uh, he begins in verse eight and says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the world, the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul is saying, I want to come to Rome, but I want to do it the right way. I want to do this in the will of God. And we know this from Paul's ministry. Several times he wanted to go to Rome, but he was denied. He would eventually go to Rome, but I'm sure it's not in the way that he had in mind. You'll recall at the end of the book of Acts, he, he finally makes a journey to Rome as a prisoner, uh, and he'll spend the rest of his days there in Rome, and he'll do much writing in Rome. We get some of the epistles, the, the prison epistles from the city of Rome. And certainly um, it's one of those things where Paul would not have planned it that way intentionally. And yet God had that in mind and would bless the entire church for the rest of the church age through the writings of Paul that he probably would have never slowed down and accomplished had he not been imprisoned in Rome. But he has a desire to go to Rome from these early days. And the church at Rome is a thriving church of the gospel. Uh, it, it is one that is on fire for God. It is expanding. It is teaching. It is winning souls for Christ. Um, and he says in verse 12, I want to come that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith, both of you and me. 
And so he's, he, he's coming, he says, don't be unaware in verse 13, I plan to come to you, but I've been hindered. I, I want to come, but God just won't allow me to come yet. Um, Paul wants the visit to Rome and the church. He wants to go in order to share the gospel. This is fascinating when you stop and think because we just read and we talked about how the church is in Rome is already thriving. It's thriving because of the gospel, because they, they have the gospel. They're teaching the gospel. Paul is not writing to correct a problem, as we mentioned, which tells us they are involved in the gospel. Um, and yet Paul wants to come and preach the gospel. Men, this is a great encouragement, believer. So too often we are quiet uh, and refuse to speak of the gospel, either because we're afraid to give it to somebody who does not have the gospel, or we are around those who do have the gospel and we assume that they don't need to talk about the gospel. And folks, nothing could be further from the truth in either case. We need to be talking about the gospel. We need to share the gospel with the unbeliever. We need to rejoice in the gospel with the believer. It's great fun to go to lunch with a good believer and say, hey, tell me about how you got saved, even if they told you before. And then you share how you got saved. How, how Christ reached out in mercy and grace and forgiveness. Folks, that is the gospel. We need to talk about that. We need to share that. We need to relish in it. And that's what Paul's talking about. I want to come to you in order to preach the gospel and share that with you in Rome. And then thirdly, uh, Paul talks about the just live by faith. This is found in verses 16 and 17. Let's read those quickly. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the just shall live by faith. First, he talks about the shame of the gospel. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why does Paul say that? Well, because there was some shame in the gospel in that day. It, it's not like today in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is where I'm located in 2023. Uh, at the very most, somebody might snicker if I mention the gospel, but there's no real persecution. There's no threat of, uh, of jail time. There's no threat of real corporal punishment. And yet in Paul's day, the same could not be said. Uh, the, the Orthodox Jew, in fact, Paul himself before his uh, redemption was the one who sought out to destroy the church, to put to death the preacher. Uh, Paul would be imprisoned many times. He would be beaten many times. Uh, he would be stoned to death and resurrected, I believe, at one time. And, and so, uh, and Christ himself hung on a cross. And the, the scripture tells us that uh, all who hung on the cross in that day, it was a shame. It was the worst execution that could be put upon someone. And all of this, folks, is tied to the gospel. And so from the outside looking in, one might associate the gospel with shame. And this is why Paul says this. As a believer, we understand it. Uh, but there is no shame in the gospel. For, and that's why Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed because 
It is the, the power of God to salvation. For who? For everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. So he, he points this out. There is no shame in it for him. And then he talks about the power of the gospel. And notice this phrase that he uses and uh, the, the power of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God uh, to salvation for every who believes, uh, uh, for everyone who believes, the Jew and the Greek. And then he uses another phrase that's very interesting in verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, what is Paul talking about? What does it mean to be revealed from faith and to faith? I believe what Paul is saying is that when he, from faith, he's talking about the time of believing, from this point of faith, we might say, from this point of where we come to faith, where we acknowledge our sin, our need for Christ, our desperate need for Christ and forgiveness of sin, and then to faith, it's the living out of that from that day forth, that the demonstration of it, the living of faith. So it goes from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I believe that's what Paul means when he uses this phrase in verse 17, from faith to faith. And then finally, he talks about the righteousness of the gospel. Um, the just shall live by faith. He said salvation is, uh, in verse 17, for in it is the righteousness of God. And folks, nothing more true has ever been said. The righteousness of God, the, the righteousness of the gospel. Folks, the, the, the gospel requires us to be righteous. It requires sinless perfection. That is the standard for heaven. Do you realize that? To be a part of the kingdom of God, we must be thoroughly clean. We must be completely righteous. How do we do that? We're born in sin. We, we, we are sin. And even if a person, we'll talk more and more about this as the book progresses, especially after we get past chapter three. But how do we meet this standard? Even if we could start today and sin no more, we have sin in our past. We have sin in our heritage. We're born into sin. How do we meet a righteous standard? Certainly not to the, the standard of the righteousness of God, yet the gospel is the answer. Righteousness is applied by way of the gospel. Folks, that's the introduction to the book of Romans. Uh, I hope that you got something from that and that you will stay with us throughout the rest of the study. The next time that we uh, meet on the next podcast, we'll pick up in chapter one and verse 18, uh, and we'll talk about God's wrath on unrighteousness. Uh, and, and just a fair warning here, the, the, the beginning of the book of Romans is difficult, uh, especially through the first three chapters. It is, it is often hard to read through because Paul deals with our sin extensively. Our unrighteousness is addressed. And uh, the, the, if you can make it through that part, uh, it makes the rest of the book, uh, about halfway through chapter three, that, or that ends, and then we, we start dealing with the, the, the beauty of the gospel, the rewards of the gospel, and man, it just makes it that much sweeter because we've dealt with the, the unrighteousness in the first part. 
thank you for joining us. I hope you'll stick with us throughout the next uh, several broadcasts.